Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Hello, welcome to A Slice of Cheese the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food and share the stories of the people who make, sell and love it. Spring is in the air. We talked to cheesemaker Martin Gott about his acclaimed St James, a seasonal washed rind used milk cheese. Cheesemaker Anthony Hurd of Coutpas Dairy tells us about a special cheese-based Cypriot Easter treat, and food writer Ren Bihan tells about Polish cheese and Easter cheesecake. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com, and specialist food retailers. This week on A Slice of Cheese, we're looking at the idea of spring cheese, I'm very happy to have with me today the wonderful cheesemaker Martin Gott, maker of St James Cheese, all the way from Cumbria. Good morning, Martin. Hello, Jenny. Lovely to have you on the show, Martin. And I just wanted to tell you that a few weeks ago I trotted into Neil's Yard Dairy, which I tend to go into if I can, and then much to my excitement was um, was a bit of St James Cheese on the counter. And it was like, and it's back. It was this real, and I had this, and I bought some and sort of scoffed it ridiculously quickly. And it was really exciting for me because, you know, with St James, I, I think of it as a spring cheese. Do you see it as a spring cheese? Yeah, very much. Um, we begin production in January, but actually most of our production is between March and, and May. So it very much is a spring cheese. You know, it's something that we've, it, we we work really hard to try and get it on the counter for sort of um, Easter, Mother's Day, you know, to get it into the shops by that point. So that's really its, its first sort of sales of the year or first serious sales of the year around that time. Um, and yeah, by the time we get to, you know, the end of summer, we're in diminishing numbers. You'll see it in less and less places uh, as there's less cheese to go around. So yeah, it's very much, it's, it's available, you know, very available in spring. So St. James, it's, it's made with raw milk and only our own raw milk from our Lacan sheep, which is a, a breeder sheep, a milking sheep. Uh, we milk, well, at the moment we're milking 160, but in total this year we'll milk about 260 sheep. We actually start production in January every year, so the, because they all lamb together, um, they'll lamb in January and then we'll begin production, you know, sort of mid to late January. Uh, and, and production really peaks when the sheep go out to grass. So grass season here in, in the Lake District sort of begins, you know, sort of mid-March, early March. 
you know, once that spring grass is there, the ewes will go out from the barn where they've spent the winter um, and they'll start grazing. And yeah, and then the cheese is basically is always made with fresh, warm, raw milk. So we don't hold the milk, we don't pump it, we don't store it. And we, we certainly don't use other people's milk for St. James. It's very much a product of, of our pasture and our grass um, and our farm. And, and, and of one day, you know, it's a snapshot in time. One day's production is one day's milk. That's You're making we- on quite a small scale, aren't you, compared to other cheeses? Yeah, well, we're super small right now we're making about 40 or 50 kilos of cheese a day um and even at peak season that might go up to you know, 80 or 90 kilos of cheese so yeah super small production but we're seven days a week making st james at the minute as well um so we're, we're literally making you know kind of a new batch every single day and there's there's a nice sort of natural variance that comes from that you know the handmade batches but also just variations in in pasture quality or the weather outside or the grass or what the animals are eating i feel yeah. it always plays a part in the you know the final cheese really yeah that's so interesting and so you know it's a washed rind cheese and it's full of it's always wonderfully flavorful but in a sort of variety of ways i feel you know so i yes i just find it i always i find it a sort of fascinating cheese martin so presumably that's a real factor then this sort of this new growth of grass will affect the affects the milk presumably yeah i mean interesting this time of year they they're in they're in the barn you know sort of mid mid to late february and late you know early march and they're when they're in the barn they're on a a bed of straw and they're eating sort of meadow hay from last season or hay from last year and you know it's it's a sort of climate that they're in and they're in the barn when they at this time of year we start to turn them out into grass but of course the grass at best it's it's just grass that's built up over the last couple of months sort of early growth and it's um I wouldn't say stale, but you know, the first grass they go out onto is never the. It's it's kind of it's taken a long time to grow a very small amount of grass. <laughs> yeah. Once they've grazed that off, and then the weather warms up, and the you know soil comes up to temperature, the next time they go back to that grass, it's the same volume of grass, but it might have grown in a week or two weeks. You know, mm. so the grass is immediately different to the grass that they turned out on two weeks before, and we sort of move them around different fields of the farm. At this time of year, we try and spread the sheep out thinly. Um, just so they get to kind of nip and bite a little bit of everything really um, early on to try and basically graze off a little bit of that winter growth. Um, and then actually once we start in another you know, two or three weeks, we, we go into a paddock system where they're grazing a different paddock almost every day or every two days they'll, they'll move onto a new area um, and leave behind what they haven't grazed and, and move on and move on and then return back to that same paddock maybe three weeks later. Um, by which point it's, there's different things have grown, different species, different things have, have sort of come into their own. So there's a sense that every day through sort of March, April, May, what those sheep get the chance to eat is very, very different all the time. You know, so they're, and, they're, and the temperature outside is different. Uh, their stage of lactation is progressing, so they start off as freshly lambed, um, and by the time we get three months on, they'll have been lamb, they'll have been milking for three or four months. So their their sort of whole everything about them will have shifted. Their whole you know sort of um, body condition will have changed. Yeah. You know what how much they're holding how much milk they're producing will change and the milk quantity yeah. will change so you know there's this sort of hugely transient sort of three month period which is spring where it's incredibly difficult for us to sort of set a benchmark for how the cheese should be and we do work to parameters of uh, you know ph and we work to parameters of moisture content and you know cut and stir the curd at certain ways at certain times but ultimately you know there's a sort of variance in the raw ingredient that's happening and also you know the ground outside is, is warming up the milky mm. part when we start milking, you know, at the end of January, it could be, you know, eight to ten degrees in our milking parlour. Uh, <laughs> cold, you know, when milking early yeah. mornings, and then by the time you get to sort of the end of March, April, it could be twenty degrees in the milking parlour. You know, as the sort of sun's kind of beating down, yes. and that affects the temperature of the pipelines that the milk goes through and the milking equipment. You know, all these things start to sort of, you know, what's on the floor of the milking parlour after we clean down, what what what, what survives there, what lives there, um, and what's in our barns when they come through the barns, and it's eight degrees in the barn, you know, versus twenty degrees in the barn, and they're sat on that straw bedding when they're after before and after milking um, you know all these things start to sort of play a part 
on. So you get this sort of livening of the mill culture. We have this hugely transient period where we, we try our best to manage it, but it's sort of steering a bit of a rocky. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, we listen to all these different factors, Martin, that you're describing. And and then, you know, and then this, this you know, in quotes, one cheese, St. James. But of course, actually, it's one of its charms is that it will really vary. Um, but I think you're, I always get the impression that your customers really under, have have come to understand that over the years was that something that you was that hard at first or do you, have you had to sort of take your customers on a journey the, I don't know, the people i'm thinking of the cheesemongers but those are the people who buy your cheese you're eating it do they become to appreciate in a way this richness that you're offering this you know these snapshots of different days in cumbria in a cheese form we all still lived on the farm and we all still went through periods where something was unavailable i sense there'd be a sort of excitement in all of us when something new appears and i think that's mm. sometimes lost you know with our modern lives and, and the way that we, you know, things don't go out of season or they don't disappear. But for us, mm. it's very, the spring is, is this, you know, celebration. It's the start of a new season. We've not had mm. it ourselves. We've not been, been able to eat St. James for, <laughs> for three months because we've not had any. So we're on this farm doing all the work, um, doing all this stuff to make St. James. But actually, we don't get to eat it for three months a year because it's disappeared. It's gone. It's out of season. So for us, it's really, it's palpable, this excitement, this, you know, we, yes, we've got some cheese. We want to get it out to customers. We want to tell shops, you know, look, there's this new season. The question is, well, how does it taste? You know, what, how does it compare to last year's St. James? Or they become towards that, you know, who cares you know like what (laughs) it's a new season the cheese is here tasting fresh it's great the you know the flavors are are typical of our spring cheeses they're yogurty they burst with all this sort of any new energy and this new life and so the 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 notion that we then try and compare that to what we did last year or certain batches that may be made in summer or in autumn it to to us feels sort of like it's very very academic to be having these conversations Mm. and almost like this is food you know this is food it's seasonal, it's here in front of you, you know, just, just eat it and enjoy it for what yeah. it is. And I think that's a, a very basic way that you would pick a, you know, your first strawberry off a plant, you know, at home. If yes. you're growing in your garden, you wouldn't, you wouldn't compare it to the strawberry you ate last year at the end of the season or, or sort of go, oh, I'm not sure, sure there is, you know, you would just enjoy them for being the first strawberries. And I that's- think that's... That's a very good point, isn't it? Yes, and it's like sort of very much in the moment, isn't it? And and I must say, you know, I did literally. I was so pleased to see it again, and you know, to see St James cheese again, and to be able to buy a bit and eat it again. I was like, oh, it's delicious, you know. And that was just a real. So, and then also that sort of fun of knowing, oh, it's back in season, you know. And I've got, I'll be able to buy it again, and that was a really nice feeling. We want it to be great, you know. We want it to be great cheese, tasting good, and excite people and, and be enjoyable. But, you know, that, that sort of how does it taste or should it taste becomes secondary to does it taste great? You know, is it, is it is mm. what you're eating enjoyable? Is it good? And that, I think that's the, so we can accept variance, but the quality has to be good. You know? So interesting enough. So in terms, so in making a seasonal cheese like this, Martin, from the point of view of making a, a living from your cheese sales, you're dropping off. You, when did you say the the season ends for St. James towards in the late uh, autumn, is it? Yeah, we yeah. finished it. I think last year we stopped milking on something like the 15th of October. Um, but again, that availability is very different. So to, to, to think that our season is, you know, sort of March to October, let's say, oh, actually we start milking end of January, so January to October, suggests that it's actually quite a long season. But as mm. I say, if you look at the bulk of the cheese we're making, you know, we're probably making well over half of our production in, in three months of the year. So, so it is available. But it's not in, available in the same way when you get to October or November. You know, is, is, that, is there less of it then? Is it literally just that yeah, milk are falling? And... It, so our peak season will peak at about say forty cheeses a day uh, in probably yeah mid April May, and then yeah. and then quietly back off down to sort of twenty or thirty cheeses, and 
by the time we're in October, we could be making six or eight cheeses a day, you know? So like the, there's a real sort of tailing off of demand. And that, that means for us, the way it works, we've got to call up all these customers. We've got to dig out, um, you know, people, sort of telephone numbers who we might have only sent one batch to, you know, in the springtime last year because they see it as a spring or as early mm. summer and say, look, we've got some, we can send you some. How many would you like? We kind of have to do a bit of a, not a hard sell, but we have to make sure we can spread it as far and as wide as we can um, and explain that to people. And we will do, you know, we'll work with customers on putting in like sort of monthly boxes and things like that because we know that availability is there. So people's opportunity to get St. James is very high in those spring and summer months. Um, yeah. But obviously in October, it's down to like running orders, people that use it consistently that only right. want it to appear on their counter. So it, it just makes its way to less places. It won't appear right. in a monthly box. So it really is a sort of spring flowering then, isn't it? And, yeah. And yeah. very much part of, yes, a sort of an Easter treat, I suppose, for people on cheese boards. And, and restaurants love your cheese too, don't they? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, again, people who had it, uh, you know, sort of time time again, they look for it coming through now at that sort of wild garlic appearing on the menu. You know, mm. it's, it's the sort of time when St. James should be popping up. You know, it's Mother's Day, it's wild garlic, it's, uh, you know, spring lamb, I guess. It's all those sorts of things starting to reappear is, is when you'd expect St. James to appear. And I think at that point, people are like, oh, yeah, I get it. That's where it, that's where it should be. And then, yeah, people aren't sort of looking for St. James. It's there and it's available. And it can be some of those late summer cheeses can be probably, you know, the, some of the best cheeses that we ever make. Yeah. Uh, but there's only small quantities of them. You know, it might be hard to get hold of. It's yeah. there. Gone. You get one batch and it's only six or eight cheeses. Well, you know, it's hard to get excited about selling them if you're a cheese business because there's only a handful. <laughs> it's coming and go out again the same day. Um, so I think that's... You know, that's the nature of the, the, the restaurants. They, they look for it in spring and summer and then accept that if it disappears, it disappears, you know. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I love that idea. It's interesting. You're absolutely right, Martin, that, you know, because of the sort of the way our food systems work, seasonality has very much disappeared. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's sort of a, a trope that people enjoy talking about, you know, that, oh, we should eat seasonally. But weirdly enough, you know, stuff is available you know, all year round in the sense that, you know, I can, you know, that's sort of cliche that I can buy strawberries in December. They will be, you know, from, from Chile. But it's really interesting, isn't it, when something implacably goes away and then comes in again. You know, it seems like British outdoor grown asparagus, for me, that's a seasonal treat, you know, and Alfonso mangoes, that's a seasonal treat. Because, they, you know, and then it's that fun of something that you can't have all the time actually has a really sort of special place in your affections. Do you feel or, that with your even, yeah, customers? And I, yeah, and I think the flip side of that is, um, so for a few years, I, I don't find myself doing things in September, like going to cheese events or whatever, because our season is up. By September is disappearing, you know. Yes. I, I, so I'd find myself not at home through, through, or very often through September. I'd either be at a cheese event for the weekend, or if I was, I was busy at the farm or in the dairy, and not having much time to sort of do what you want to do. Maybe you know, be working really hard, but not always at the farm. And yeah, and I'd miss damsons, you know, sort of for a, ah yes, it's the sort of damson season, and and then yeah. you miss it, and there's a sort of sense of like mourning that you know you can't have it back until next year, uh, yeah. you know, because you miss them. And I think that's that's the sense with like if you miss the beginning of the season of St. James, you know, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get St. James, of course you are, but you just miss those early season, those new cheeses, that excitement. And I think that, that if, if that's repeated year on year, it does make it all the more meaningful when you get it, you know, that you, oh, I got it at the right time, you know, when I wanted it, when I when I felt it should be there. So I think that it's the sort of sense of loss if you don't have it, you need to go through yeah. this despair or mourning from missing your chance <laughs> to pick blackberries or whatever, you know, and then yes, you, quite. And you get the sort of follow on is actually the, the excitement when you do catch it or you do find that thing at the right time yeah i think it's as i say i think it's something we can all appreciate when we're when we're really in touch with food but it's easy mm. to forget when we're not in the business of food or in the, not, not the business but the, the, the process of farming and yeah food. and i was wondering economically 
you know, you, in a way, this you, you see, it's quite clear. Obviously, you don't have St James for Christmas, do you, Martin? And that's a big cheese-selling time for cheesemakers. Well, yeah, I've so, got cheesemakers yes. who sort of say that, that you know their whole profit for the year is predicated on December. Yeah, uh, I find that such a strange thing. Um, I hard to get my head around, you know, because we we generally don't sell really any cheese or much cheese at all in December. Uh, and I always every year think, God, if I had some cheese to sell in December, maybe we'd be make, actually make some money. Um, <laughs> but then, uh, you know, it means that. The, the sort of the importance of celebrating it when it is there seems even more sort of right that we should be promoting and selling cheese in, in March, April, May, uh, because we don't have that chance at Christmas to, to put it on people's cheese boards. So actually looking for those, the Easter, Easter holidays or, as I said, Mother's Day, you know, to, to make sure that it's there for those things, is, isn't it? That's our holiday to celebrate. Well, listen, Martin, that was fantastic. I mean, it's and as I think the message to our listeners is spring. Think St James. This is, you know, this is the time. It's back and it's such a wonderful cheese. So thank you, Martin, because I know that you and Nicola work, you know, long and hard. So um, much appreciate and thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. no thank you very much thank you all right take care martin bye bye online on smart speakers and on listen again this is food fm very happy to have with me today anthony heard of cupra's dairy hello anthony hello jenny how are you i'm very good thanks because spring is in the air i'm thinking about cheese and spring I was actually thinking about cheese for Easter delicacies. And I wanted to ask you, Anthony, to tell us about a secret delicacy, which I have heard of, but not actually eaten, sadly, called flaona. Could you perhaps tell us what flaona is? Yes. Uh, so flaona is a Cypriot um, cheese pie. That's the mm-hmm. best way I would explain it. It's um, a cheese and egg mix which unusually has yeast uh, spices and uh, herbs in it mixed with a local cheese in cyprus called, called flaona cheese ironically or ah. pafitico cheese it's kind of very similar to halloumi the only difference is that it's made in large tall uh, wicker baskets uh, about 30 centimeters high usually or traditionally and then it's it's dried and aged um, for a couple of weeks usually, so it gets quite firm. So it's mm-hmm. more I would if you if I was going to compare it to any other cheese out there, I would say it's like a young kind of pecorino. I would say ah, a good right. a, a good version, yeah. yeah. Um, but the the process is quite similar to halloumi, and so you you would sort of have a, a mixture, uh, including halloumi as well. And you'd encase it in, I, I, the best way to describe it is a maybe a short crust kind of pastry um, mm-hmm. rolled in sort of seeds. And um, yeah, it's quite unusual. And you'd usually bake it in a, in a wood, wood-fired outdoor oven uh, on a sort of medium temperature. And uh, yeah, it would kind of rise up um, and that would kind of demonstrate aspects of the Greek Orthodox kind of uh, religion. And ah, whatnot. okay. Right. And what is it flavoured with? It's got, it is flavoured, isn't it? It's not just the cheese. That's right. So in the most traditional uh, flaunas, you would have things like uh, mastica, which is mm-hmm. a type of tree resin from the uh, pistachio tree, uh, mm. which was usually dried and ground into a fine powder. And it has a very, it, it does have an almost kind of nutty, nutty, resiny kind of flavour, but you'd only add a very, very small amount to it and it would perfume the the, right. the, the, the baked good. 
Um, you'd use Mahlabi, which is a, a kernel from, yeah, it's a cherry kernel, which is dried and ground as well. Again, giving it a kind of sort of slightly bitter, but mm. uh, apricotty kind of perfume, because that's kind of the vibe it gives. Yes. And then you'd add other things uh, like um, soaked sultanas, which are very traditional in Cyprus. Uh, so it's, it's fruit, cheese, egg, Lovely. Uh, yeast, so cinnamon. Which is, yes, that's interesting. So it's treats, isn't it? Which, you know, again, goes back to that point that she's, you know, it's sort of a luxury item, isn't it, historically, because it's made from milk. Milk is precious and it's... So when you add cheese to a dish, it, it is... You're making that dish special in a way, aren't you? Well, it, it, for this particular dish, it's quite symbolic in the sense that it it comes after 50 days uh, before Easter in the Greek Orthodox tradition where right. people do not eat meat ah. or consume oil or dairy um, mm -hmm. in, in that period of time. So it's like you're using everything to celebrate that. The, the, you meant, there's the kind of a tradition of how you eat it um, on, on Easter Sunday, and people sort of say Christ has risen and they, it, they should look very plump and kind ah, of nice. uh, rounded. Yeah, yeah kind yeah. of quite, yeah. um, what's the best way to describe that? Quite pregnant almost, <laughs> I think yes. is the best way to... to oh, so of... it's a sort of full of new life again, which again, I suppose, isn't it? If it's, it's risen, the flow has, has risen and it's this lovely shape, which of course, and eggs are, they're, you know, obviously very symbolic at, at, uh, at Easter, aren't they too? Again, round and full and new life. Yeah, interesting. That's right. Uh, and, and so, so you're, you're using uh, a couple of raising agents, you know, actual yeast. So traditionally it would be a sourdough um, mm -hmm. and you would be using eggs and um, fermenting it further. And you, that should give a really light kind of cheesy sort of fragrant perfumed kind of flavour. It's, it's very, very unusual. And I don't think people would be very used to it. Uh, but in, in context, it's like a tea cake. That's how I would serve it, in slices. <laughs> right. Ah, yeah. OK. And how? And is it, it sounds sort of quite... Is it an ancient um, sort of pastry? Has it got a long tradition, Florina? Yeah, so from, from my understanding, um, it goes back to Byzantine times uh, in hmm. Cyprus and the sort of Byzantine kind of empire would have been influenced from all over kind of southern Europe really uh, and the royal courts would have had uh, various people from all over the empire um, kind of influencing both uh, traditions and skills and mm. flavours as well um, and uh, I, I mean I was speaking to a food anthropologist back in November actually about who specialised in, in, in Cypriot cuisine. And he was telling me at the time that um, Flauna is recorded as early as, I think, the 12th or 13th century uh, in Byzantine cookbooks. Wow. Um, and there's a specific dish. You would ultimately cook the Flauna trigones, which basically means a, a triangle, which is, is symbolic uh -huh. in Byzantine kind of uh, symbology. Oh, okay. um, and you would create a sauce to go with it. Right. And that sauce would be uh, made from comandaria, which is like a, a sweet um, fortified wine, like a kind of sherry. That's, mm -hmm. It's actually the oldest uh, branded alcohol in the world. Goes wow. back over, well over a thousand years. 
by Amazing. monks that made it in Cyprus. And you would blend it with rose petals and a reduction of honey. And that would all go together and, and you would use it to kind of dip the, uh, the cheese uh, pie in, ultimately. It sounds absolutely spot on. It sounds perfect. It does. It sounds delicious, doesn't it? Yeah. As Easter's coming up in a couple of weeks, I think it's a good opportunity to to make some flowers and maybe give this this recipe a try actually because um the, yes. uh, the 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 cypriot kind of tra tradition around kind of fragrance and perfume and all of these heady kind of flavors is, is quite mm. unusual um to the point that there's little kind of distinction between perfume and flavor in cypriot ah. cuisine so there's a huge crossover between those two kind of coordinates if, if you want to put it like that yes which i, which I find really interesting yeah and when did you uh, flow in a, is that something that's still very much in a live tradition like would you when you were growing up did your family make them would you would you make them every easter absolutely yeah. to, to my memory we've made them at home and in the wider family every single year since i remember Oh. Um, which which is really really nice, and but you, you do get the odd moany person who says, "Oh, I don't like the, the sultanas." <laughs> <laughs> but and also some people would, if they couldn't get hold. I know it sounds really strange now to think it, but uh, if you go back twenty, twenty five years, thirty years, uh, there were times when people couldn't get hold of halloumi uh, mm. or flaona cheese mm -hmm. specifically, so they would yeah. use uh, cheddar and. Um, ah. I wasn't a fan of those ones, to be honest with you. It just didn't go like putting mint with cheddar yes. in, in yep. a pie. It's, it's, those flavours yeah. don't work. There is an alternative version, actually, when, uh, which you could make at home uh, very, very easily. And it's using anari cheese, which is ah. uh, like uh, a, a fresh ricotta uh, mm -hmm. with, with sheep, sheep's milk. So you could you could make a fresh uh, ricotta at home and make flowers with that, and you'd have a very light sort of fluffy texture, which is uh, not as kind of strong if you didn't weren't able to get hold of. Uh, what the, what other milk was flowers? The traditional flowers cheese. What milk would that have been made from? It would have been like halloumi, uh, traditionally made with only sheep or goats, uh, right. or, or a mixture of both. Uh, cow's milk does not come into. Yeah. Halloumi production uh, yeah. only until no, industrialisation happened. Yes, and I was thinking, you know, when you were talking about mint and cheddar not going, I was thinking, and yet mint does go well, you know, with sheep's, sheep's cheese, you know, with halloumi, for example. Um, yeah, Be beautifully well, Be because yeah. the, the traditionally, if if the animals were on uh, a, a wild pasture, you would be getting those kind of herbal notes coming through in the milk which would perfectly kind of complement any addition of, of herbs. So it, that kind of, that dairy fat flavour you get from cow's milk, just it's too rich, if that mm. makes sense. Mm, um, yeah. uh, even though ironically, sheep milk is higher in fat than, <laughs> than cow's milk, it's a different uh, fat profile. So you would, your experience in mouthfeel and uh, the fragrance and perfume that comes from that cheese is, is so different, I, I think. Yes. And so it's commercially produced flowing. Is it, you know, can, can you buy it in, you know, separate food shops in the UK? Is, is it sold over here? Um, I, you can only get it in a couple. Uh, that's, right. that's good. Some, some people will label it as flowing, but it's, they're, they're using sort of cow's milk and 
it, oh. it won't have any seasoning, it won't be aged correctly, it will have right. no flavour at all, basically, um, right. which is no good for anybody. So you, you see, when your family make it, you go, you make sure you're buying, you know, the proper thing that you want, yeah? Well, in, interestingly, I don't know if anybody would know this, but um, in Kupros, we, we make uh, sheep's cheeses traditionally, and I have made um, Flauna cheese uh, for the last few years, actually. And um, there was a couple of uh, Cypriot-run businesses in North London who who uh, requested it because they wanted to make their own flowers, um, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and they they were using our cheese and had some you know really really fantastic feedback from it. So it's um, I would like to say we're probably the only people in the UK that are actually have made it traditionally. So there's an alternative to uh, flowers called flower bitter, uh, which is ultimately more like a cake um, and it's a bit more kind of short in texture so you use probably the leftover if you if you didn't want to make the small pies um, and you could make it in a sort of a big tin and that can ah. be cut into sort of squares which is very nice you're making one bigger thing rather than little so a little bit less time consuming then it's it's to use the leftover mix ultimately ah okay right yeah which is and it, it's nice because it, it doesn't have the pastry and it's it is a bit sort of simpler but it's, it's mm-hmm. equally tasty um th- there is also other two types of uh, other cheese pies around easter specifically Mm-hmm. And uh, one is called pasquiers, which is like a Cornish pasty. Uh, ah. But what you're doing is you're using spring lamb and you're, you're roasting it uh, over charcoal for a little while and you, you would break that down and uh, add uh, things like halloumi and, and um, flour and cheese and various other things. So you absolutely Gosh. delicious kind of... Sounds, sounds sn- rich. Sn- yeah. Very rich. Yeah, it's yeah. about celebration and lamb is quite symbolic in yeah. uh, Cypriot culture, as um, apparently Jesus was known as um, God's lamb. So yes. there's some symbolism there. Yeah. And, and there's there's another type of flona, which is it's just difference in, in presentation, ultimately. The, the difference is, is that you would bake a handle on it, oh. and so, which is very unusual, yes. So you would make the pastry as you would usually, but you would braid like a Cornish pasty, like a handle on, on yeah. the top. And that specific version would be taken to a midnight service on the Saturday before um, the Easter kind of celebrations at yes. midnight, which is which I think is quite cool. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I'm I'm sort of visualising these little pies with handles being carried. Yeah, amazing. But not yeah. mean not being carried by the handles. What I was thinking, they're I mean, no, it's, it's, it's a handle it's, it's, to it's a, eat it with. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a pie handle ultimately, um, and then there's a there's a number of other kind of breads that are specific around Easter, which is baking sort of eggs into enriched dough like sureki I've and seen those. Yeah, and they're Afgordes. very beautiful. Yeah, yes, and dyed exactly. eggs, eggs, eggs dyed red. I used to see them in the Cypriot food shops around Camden when I was a kid, and there were more bakeries That's than yeah. Exactly, um, exactly. We yeah. still we still do that. It's part of it's part of the tradition. Um, so it's all it's all part, kind of part of that. Which is, which is very cool, and um, I think there's there is some similarity in even the um, Catholic cultures in in Europe as well, in Italy and Spain, um, and on some of the the islands specifically, they make a couple of pastries. I think one of them is called formagelli in Italy, where it's uh-huh. almost identical to flowers, wow. almost identical. 
yeah. So the mixture is cheese, eggs, and uh, and yeast and mint, ironically. Um, yeah, right. And they bake it in in a in a crust as well, which is super interesting. Brilliant. I mean, food is fascinating. The way it, it travels and lodges in some places and then moves on is is brilliant. That was lovely, Anthony. What a, a fascinating insight into a really rich sort of Easter cheese culture. Thank you so much. It's all right, and you're I welcome. need to get recipes from you. Thank you, Anthony. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks. Speak soon. I'm a huge fan of Peter's Yard's crackers, and they go beautifully with cheese. All Peter's Yard's crackers are made in small batches using quality natural ingredients and their sourdough starter, slowly fermented for 16 hours for award-winning flavour and crunch. Visit petersyard.com forward slash shop, enter the code slice of cheese at the checkout to receive 25% off your first order. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose... Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. So this week on A Slice of Cheese, very happy to have with me today Ren Bihan, who is a food writer, English of Polish descent and author of a lovely book called Wild Honey and Rye. Hello, Ren. Hello, lovely to speak to you. Really lovely to talk to you. And Ren, I know a little bit about Polish food, but not a huge amount about cheese in Polish cuisine. I was sort of intrigued to discover yeah. more about it. Tell tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a great topic for me because I, I am a huge cheese lover. But you're right, because the thing is, Poland uh, isn't really very well known for its cheese. Particularly, you wouldn't necessarily think of, of cheese as the first main ingredient, as it were. Uh, but I'm really pleased to say there is a growing sort of trend in the artisanal world in Poland uh, for their sort of homemade cheeses. And in 2017, actually, in Warsaw, I had a cheese tasting that was exclusively sort of featuring Polish cheese. So I'd like to say that cheese making is on the up in Poland and that's a good thing for us to talk about. Brilliant. That's great. I mean, it's really interesting because one of the things that I've seen in my years as a cheese writer in Britain is is the rise of sort of artisan or farmhouse cheese making in Britain, you know, in a way a, a revival mm. tradition because obviously, you know, making cheese is a very historic way of preserving milk. And it's so yes. interesting the way the role it pays. And one of the things I was yes. thinking about was Easter. And I was wondering, are, are there, does cheese play a part in sort of Easter dishes, Ren? Yes. Yeah, so I was, I was thinking the same. And I, it's, it's really intriguing in, in the sense that it would always form part of the Easter breakfast table, but in the way that it would form part of the breakfast table at, at any other part of the year, really, particularly with a white cheese called tfaruk, which we use very often. That's a farmer's cheese. It's very similar to a curd cheese. Um, and I know that you've spoken previously about quark in, in the German cuisine. So mm. Tvarog is very similar. It's a white cheese and it's very easy to make at home, but it's, it very often features on the breakfast table. And for Polish Easter, we would normally have a very big spread of breakfast um, ingredients on the table. So obviously lots of eggs and hams and fresh breads but also cheese and farmer's cheese, possibly mixed with a little bit of chive and radish and cucumber, just to freshen things up a bit for the spring. So that would definitely mm. be on the table. But I'd also take you down the sweet route because the Polish Easter table has lots of savoury dishes and salads and things that you can pick at, but it would also have lots and lots of sweet dishes. So um, traditionally, you would have a babka, which is a bundt cake, or you could also find a Polish cheesecake and that would use the farmer's cheese as well and lots and lots of eggs. So yes, it's not the first thing you'd think of, but it's there if you look for it. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And I was interested what you said. So this fresh farmer's cheese, as it's called. So this is what this mm. is a sort of soft, a soft white cheese. So it has, does it have that sort of same? Is it similar to quark thing? Because the interesting thing about fresh cheeses is that they really a lot of the differences are, are texture. They're quite subtle differences, but they are differences. You know, when you talk to someone about the cheese from their own country, they always say, "Oh yes, but actually it's yeah. much nicer with this." <laughs> so I'd say it's it's milder, and the, the there isn't really a flavour comparison. But often people, if they can't find farmer's cheese, although it is available in the UK, you would use a ricotta cheese, so an Italian ricotta. So I would say that the Polish twarog is like halfway between a ricotta, a very mild white cheese, and then the quark. So it has got a little bit of sort of a little bit of, of bite to it, but not quite as much as, as the quark. And that's because it's made from fresh milk, traditionally straight from the cow, unpasteurized sort of raw milk with just a little bit of buttermilk. Whereas with German oh. quark, that's entirely made from buttermilk. So that's the difference is that you're you're toning it down almost by not using as much of the buttermilk. And it's based mostly on the unpasteurized uh, full fat milk. Right, so it's got a, that sort of lovely sweetness that in a way milk, full fat milk does have a sort of a natural sweetness to it, doesn't it? There is a, a sweetness yeah, to milk. Yeah, a natural sweetness, exactly. And and just the slightest tang, but certainly nowhere near on the levels of sort of a quark. But that's why it makes a, a great ingredient for a cheesecake, because it's already it's already got that very neutral flavour. So all you're mm. really doing is adding lots of eggs and sugar bringing it all together and then maybe adding in your lemon as an additional flavouring just to give a bit more tartness. I was going to ask, and this is a baked cheesecake tradition in Poland, is it? Yes, so very often it's a baked cheesecake for, for the Easter table. It would be called cheese um, Wielkanocne, which is Easter cheesecake. But um, you mm. would probably find a version of a Sernik Krakowski, which is um, a, a cheesecake that would be made in, in Krakow, in the town of Krakow. And that's a really traditional cheesecake made, as I said, with lots of white cheese, over a kilogram of it, lots of eggs, usually about eight eggs in the recipe. Wow. And then some flavourings, so lemon and a lemon glaze. And it's baked, so either straight into the oven or in a sort of bain-marie, so you're baking it with a little bit of steam around it. But yes, it's a baked cheesecake that you would normally have. I have very fond memories of going down to Daki's Cafe in South Kent. Yes. And, you know, that was a wonderful place because, you know, because it was a place where the, sort of the Polish community from World War II had sort of, it was like a meeting place, wasn't it, for the sort of, the ex when Poland was communist and people were in a way mm. exiled from Poland, you know, in London. It was, it was, it, it was, it was the lovely. Uh, yes. in London, yeah. It was, and wasn't it? And the Polish exile often met there. <laughs> Ah, and I can just remember, I've got this vision of old men with newspapers, Polish newspapers, and yeah. and seeing slices of baked cheesecake and coffee being served to them. Does that ring a bell with you? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that Duckies is still going. It's a real institution. But um, there's also in South Kensington, uh, the Ognisko Polska, which is the Polish Hearth Club. And that similarly was was sort of used as a, as a meeting place for the Polish government in exile and and has continued to be a meeting place for Poles from London and all around. So it's still there and it's still very much going strong. It's a lovely place it's to a go. For yes, I've been there. It's a beautiful. Yeah, it's very grand. I mean, in lovely, lovely sort of grand surroundings. It's quite fascinating. And can you find this, this, this very specific Polish cheese you're talking about? Can you find that in Britain now easily? Is it available? Yes, it is. I mean, it's become very popular in Britain. So it is available in most mainstream supermarkets. You'd also find it obviously in Polish shops, which are dotted around in various communities. I think if anybody, sort of any of your listeners were sort of thinking about giving cheese a go, this is 
quite a good one to make at home because actually I don't think you can really get it wrong. You're literally sort of taking mm -hmm. out some milk, leaving it overnight at room temperature, mixing with the buttermilk, and then it forms this sort of slightly solidified cheese. And then you have to just slightly heat that up. So you don't boil it, you just heat it gently and the curds in the way separate. And that's that's your farmer's cheese. You then strain it through a cheesecloth. And if you're using it for a cheesecake, I would then pass it through a sieve so that you, you don't have those individual curds and it's not quite oh. as lumpy. You want something a little bit with a smoother texture. So the trick then is to then pass it through a sieve. But it really is really easy to make at home and you just get the most delicious, creamy, you know, like making a labneh, that sort of thing. It's it's mm -hmm. it's kind of the entry level cheese, I would say. And it is used in so yeah. many Polish recipes. So it's definitely worth giving it a go. That sounds lovely. I mean, there is something very satisfying. I did, you know, it's when I've I've made butter, I've made cream cheese at home and butter and paneer, which is sounds rather similar to what you're saying. Um, and it's something mm. incredibly satisfying, actually. Um, and making butter, that's really fun. It's, it's something very satisfying, that <laughs> process where you, I think when you make something that you've bought before and then you make it yourself at home and it turns out well, it's, it's a really satisfying, it's a deeply satisfying feeling, I think. It is. I think, think you could so? give yourself yeah. a certificate, definitely, for, for making <laughs> cheese at home. But um, yeah, Tvarog is a really easy one to make. And I think the, the other sort of cheeses in Poland that you'd come across is a very famous one that's made in the Tatra Mountains called Ostypek, and that's the smoked sheep's milk cheese. So again, not something that you'd probably see on the Easter table, but you'd have that in Poland at any time of the year. Um, but certainly that's only made in the Tatra mountain regions. And I also had another lovely cheese, which is called Burstin, which is, um, that's called an amber. That translates literally as amber, mm. similar to a Gruyere. So again, that, that's something that you might find. And a really funny one, which is Rockpol, which is the Polish version of Rockfort, um, made in the Wielkopolska region. So that's a blue cheese. It's a great name. And I think there, there should be a place on the table for these uh, Easter cheeses, uh, definitely for, for these artisan cheeses that are becoming more and more popular. But uh, certainly it's, the... it's worth a try. And if you're traveling around Poland, I'm sure you'll come across them. And with Easter, would, would you would you be making an Easter cheesecake for your family? Is that something that you'd you'll be doing, Ren? Yes. And I think that, I mean, cheesecakes were traditionally made at Easter or Christmas just because of the richness of the ingredients, because there is so much cheese and so many eggs and so much sugar, you would save it for that special occasion. So mm. traditionally, you would see it on the Christmas or, or, or it might make an appearance at Easter. It's something that we love. And obviously, they're very easy to decorate. So if you're making a cheesecake at home, baked cheesecakes are very forgiving as well. You can pour a little bit of chocolate over the top or dust it with icing sugar. The kids can get involved and add their eggs and decorations to it. So I think it's, it's certainly one of the most forgiving dishes I've ever baked. The fact that it sort of involves that lovely white Polish cheese is, is a bonus, really. Does it have a base? Is, it, is there a crust base? Is like a biscuit or a pastry yep. base? Yeah, exactly the same. So like a biscuit, uh, crushed biscuits with butter, very similar. And then sometimes you'd make more of a pastry base and then you'd use a little bit of pastry to do sort of like a, a diagonal or a, a cross on top of on top of the ah. cheesecake. Oh, well, listen, Ren, that's a lovely insight. Thank you for sharing your, your sort of memories <laughs> and enthusiasm for Polish food. That's wonderful. Take care, Ren. Thank you. Thank you so much for the chat and I hope to speak to you again soon. Thanks, Ren. Bye-bye. Thank you. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Thank you so much for listening to A Slice of Cheese. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you could rate us on wherever you've found this podcast. It will make such a difference to us. 
So I hope you'll enjoy us again. Thank you very much. <laughs>